You're listening to The Story Connective. In this episode, you'll meet Joy Jinks, a mover and shaker who successfully revived her rural town's economy using the power of story and community theater. Welcome to The Story Connective. I'm Rebecca Rhapsody. The Story Connective is dedicated to documenting and sharing inspiring stories of possibility, resilience, and cooperation. In this episode, we hear the inspiring story of a small southern town that was shrinking but is now thriving thanks to the arts. Joy Jinks was concerned about all the young people leaving her beloved Georgia town and moving to the big cities for work. So she and her allies mustered up all of their strength and their charming networking skills and went to work to keep their beloved town from becoming extinct. Things were looking bleak when industry after industry rejected their town until she met the innovative theater director, Richard Gere. Learn how they used the power of story and theater to not only revive their small town, but also to create a thriving arts-based economy in the rural South. Joy Jinks has been deeply inspired by Dr. Jean Houston, one of the foremost visionary thinkers and doers of our time. Dr. Houston is noted for her ability to combine a deep knowledge of world history, culture, science, spirituality, and human development into her teaching. In 1983, Dr. Jean Houston founded a mystery school that explored the many dimensions of human potential, and Joy Jenks attended one of these programs and was inspired to use storytelling and theater to revive her small southern town. From the mystery school, a method of community leadership has emerged called social artistry. Those who study social artistry learn how to view and experience the world in ways that evoke the best possibilities for cooperation, joy, and empowerment in any situation. It's intended to give people insights, tools, and creative leadership skills for a rapidly changing world. Joy is such a delightful and inspiring social artist. I hope you enjoy this interview. I have the pleasure of sitting here with Joy Jinks, who is one of the founders and a joy of what it means to really incorporate social artistry into your life. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you, and I love being here in Ashland and seeing all of our friends. <laughs> so, Joy, I would love to hear a little bit more from you of the story of Colquitt. What position was it in, and what happened that transformed this little town of yours? Colquitt is a town in southwest Georgia. It's a town of 2,000 people Mm -hmm. in a county of 6,000 people. So it's very rural, a very small population. We grow lots of peanuts and cotton, but peanuts is our primary industry. Mm -hmm. And so in the late 80s, I had gotten a bee in my bonnet, and my friends at the same time had decided, well, we need to do something to keep this little town alive. Mm-hmm. And we had organized a chamber of commerce, but we had no vision of what we could do except uh, try to get industry. Mm-hmm. Well, we found out quickly that we did not have the educated population or even the workforce to to bring in any kind of a factory. We had had sewing plants, you know, early on, but they had all closed when everything was outsourced to China. Mm. And so we quickly realized we had to do something else, but we didn't know what. 
And but we thought, well, we need to celebrate ourselves because we're the people who are left behind <laughs> yeah. who didn't leave. You know, we decided to make raise our children here, make our home here, and run the family business, the family farm. But this always this feeling of less than, you know, mm. the big wide world out there. And if I had just moved to Atlanta and become a lawyer or a doctor, mm. you know, the grass is always greener. And so we said, well, we need to celebrate ourselves and because we have stayed here. And your history and the heritage and the of the his- place. Yeah, the culture, the heritage. So about that time, I was going to mystery school, which was Jean Houston's program at that point in, in the East Coast. And that was 1988. Mm-hmm. I started working with Jean. And mystery school, you flew to uh, rural New York State nine times a year oh my gosh for weekends with Jean and people came from everywhere and that was my introduction to Jean and I did that for four years but I met a theater director named Richard Gere not the actor but a man who is getting his uh, PhD in performance studies at Northwestern Mm -hmm. and performance studies is a combination of anthropology and theater Mm-hmm. When I speak with my southern accent, people tend to laugh. And so I was pretty intimidated in the Northeast mm. I've, and pretty shy, but I've gotten over my shyness. I you love your do. accent. It's delightful. <laughs> so I overheard Richard talking to some mutual friends about his dream of reinventing theater, uh, re- recreating what theater should be. Because only 2% of people in the United States ever see live theater. Mm. And people where I live had only, um, you know, maybe they had seen a high school play or been in a high school play. But his dream was to have theater of the people, by the people, and for the people, which is based on the stories of the people. And it's a way to engage the community in dialoguing with itself about its issues. That was Richard Gere's dream. Yes. The director. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I actually screwed up my courage. I turned a screw in the back of my spine <laughs> to, using my imaginal body. Using your imaginal uh-huh. body, using your imagination. Uh-huh. Like, quite clearly yeah. turn that turned screw. that screw and screwed <laughs> up my courage and spoke to Richard and told him about my little plan. And he said, if you'll do an oral history-based play, I'll come down there and we'll do it. That was in December of 90. Mm -hmm. And in June of 91, he actually, I think his mother bought his plane ticket. Oh. Because he was a poor student. I picked him up at the Tallahassee airport. We hit a log truck on the way home Mm -hmm. in Tallahassee, which was almost the end of all of us. We we survived. And when we got back to Colquitt, the Arts Council was having a dinner meeting to meet Richard and at the Methodist Church dining room. We were late, so we came in, and the Arts Council had been organized for about a year and a half because a group of women had gotten together and decided we needed to have some place to get dressed up and go to. <laughs> so we bring in three or four arts events, you know, uh, traveling artists a year to, to for our entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so Richard came in and started talking to us about theater, and he was speaking complete um, 
PhD jargon. <laughs> we had no idea what he was talking about. He was talking about Augusto Boal and street theater and theater of the oppressed and you know, on and on and on. But we the Arts Council met all weekend that weekend and we agreed they voted to go with his idea. Oh. And we named it a friend of mine named it Swamp Gravy. What is swamp gravy? Well, swamp gravy is a traditional dish that's cooked in the South. When you go fishing at the lake or the creek, uh, you take your pots and pans and you, you clean your fish and cook them right there. And that's when they're really fresh. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, <clears throat> so you take, um, you pour off your grease and the, where the brown crumbs from where you fried the fish are still in the pot. And you put tomatoes and potatoes and carrots and corn, anything you want to, but mm -hmm. it's like a gumbo. Okay. And if you don't um, catch many fish, you break your fish up into that and eat it with your hush puppies. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a side dish to eat with your, your meal. It's your vegetables with your fish dinner. Okay. So, uh, it, and that's what you decided to name this play that Richard was going to direct. Yes. That was a collaboration and a just like a swamp gravy stew of all the different stories yes, in this it's town. Mm -hmm. And Wonderful. It's, it's a metaphor, yeah. like stone soup. Yeah. Because it's nourishing, it's taking what you have and nothing's got to it. That's a great name. Mm -hmm. And so we did our first show in uh, October of 92. We got a small grant from Georgia Humanities to collect our stories. And it paid Richard to develop the play and to train us in some acting skills and to uh, do some set design and things like that. And we did not do a show in 93 because we didn't have any money. But in 94, we did our first two-hour show in Cotton Hall, which is our re beautiful renovated theater in an old cotton warehouse. And so next year will be our 25th year. So we've just gone great ever since. Oh my gosh, 25 years. 25 years. 25 years straight, y'all have collected stories in your town and turned them into performances. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the cast consists of between 85 and 100 people of all ages, wow. all um, all sizes, shapes, genders, races. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been a great experience and it's kept our town alive. Wow. Uh, the stores, you know, our few stores around our town square. Uh, and tourism is economic development. And what, you know, we did our first two-hour show in 94. In 96, we performed at the Olympics, the Governor's Mansion, and the Kennedy Center. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, isn't that amazing? It took that me years amazing. to realize that. But we caught four waves, Rhapsody. We caught the wave of Richard Florida's book on the creative class. Uh -huh. You know, the artist yes. is important. Yes. The wave of uh, arts as economic development. Mm. The wave of tourism as economic development. And you'll love this one. The wave of the importance of storytelling. Yes. So we were, you know, it was like the perfect match. All of a sudden, all these things, uh, these cultural changes came about and we were on the cusp of it. A little tiny town in forgotten part of Georgia. <laughs> and now we're nationally known. Yeah. Yeah. We, 
as an art center and that attracts people to your town. I've, I've had the privilege of being in Calcutt, Georgia and there's murals all over the place. Yes. It's a very colorful town, very friendly people. The small town of Colquitt, Georgia has been performing Swamp Gravy for 25 years now, and it has had a lasting impact on the place and its people. When I visited Colquitt, I met a grandmother there who had gained a tremendous sense of aliveness and contribution being a part of this community storytelling production. I also met a young woman who told me that as a little girl, being in Swamp Gravy had cured her of her stutter and given her a sense of confidence in front of others that has changed her life. Swamp Gravy has addressed some of the deeper issues in southern Georgia as well. The fire station of Colquitt is located right across from the theater. In 1994, at the time of Swamp Gravy's first production, the fire station still only employed white men. Swamp Gravy created the friendly space for the white fire chief at that time to interact with and get to know a black teenage boy who was part of the cast of the play, who had a passion for firefighting. This interaction led to relationship, which eventually led to the racial integration of the fire station for the first time in the town's history. What Swamp Gravy and similar community art projects do is they create safe spaces where strangers of different ages, races, and backgrounds, people who rarely come together normally, get to interact. And through the fun activity of creating something together, these people get to know each other and become friends. They learn what they all care about, and together help improve the place that they share. The method of story performance that created Swamp Gravy is now called StoryBridge, and it has been replicated in towns all over the United States, and even in Brazil, Chile, the United Kingdom, and China. In StoryBridge, the stories of ordinary folk become extraordinary. One individual's story is performed by many people, creating deep empathy and understanding. Sometimes StoryBridge is just a weekend experience, Sometimes it's a months-long story collection and performance process. Regardless of whether the project is small or large, what StoryBridge always does is it brings the stories of strangers together in unexpected and connective ways. StoryBridge Theater harnesses the power of story and performance to deeply connect people to themselves, to each other, and to a sense of the place that they share connections that continue long after the show is over. And now back to our interview with Joy. Joy, I have a question. Is there any story behind your name? Because I feel like you're just so aptly named. The name Joy. I think my name when I has see shaped you. I, I, I feel joyful. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think my name has shaped me. Mm. You know, if you're named Joy, you can't go around with a sad face. <laughs> and I think, you know, when I've had Hard times and everybody does. It has it has brought me back to who I am at my essence. Mm -hmm. So I think it has shaped me mm -hmm. more than me shaping the name. You've been studying Jean's work for a while, and it's turned into a category of work called social artistry. Yes. So the real question is, what is social artistry to you, and how have you used it in your life? For me, social artistry is spiritual practice. 
I go to church. I'm a social activist Methodist, which is what Jean called Hillary. I said, that's what I am. I'm a social activist Methodist. You know, in the traditional church, you're only taught to pray and read the Bible. Mm-hmm. But this is a whole body of spiritual practices that I have incorporated into my my regular daily life. You know, being a, this awareness, being aware of the sensory, physical, the story that you bring to it, your history, why you react the way you do mm-hmm. because of your history or the way, you know, your culture, um, and then the the whole story of your life, the myth, the story that you're living the story that you're projecting into the world, your skills that you're bringing to the world, mm. and then how that fits into the into the universal story, the cosmos, the, the shaping of, of this evolutionary time, evolutionary time that we're in. Yeah, it sounds like a, an ex, a way to experience evoking the larger story of yourself and of the, the universe. You said that you use it every day. Like, it's part of your daily practice. Could you share one of the ways that you use social artistry as a daily practice? Well, you know, I have to remind myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Peggy Rubin, uh, with uh, recent Sacred Theater in Atlanta, was telling us to sing five times a day. <laughs> so I'm trying to sing. I don't make it five times a day, but, um, but I do try to sing several times a day. And, it, you know... Um, when you, you sing, uh, you sing praise. And something I've recently started doing is, you know how I love the park, mm-hmm. uh, this boardwalk across, uh, through the wetlands, the swamp, and our little town down to the creek. Um, I try to go down there every day and sing love songs to the trees. <laughs> and I need you to write me a love song to the trees. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> okay, that'd be good. <laughs> Why? Why would you sing love songs to the trees? What does it do to you, and what do you feel like it does outside of yourself as well? Well, I think if if the universe is alive, then the trees hear you. Yeah, and um, and you could not live in this on this planet without the oxygen that the trees give us. Mm-hmm. You know, the trees <laughs> give us so much shade, oxygen, beauty, fruit, nuts, and so. Um, so that's just part of my singing love songs too. <laughs> Deep appreciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that you have some very interesting ideas around aging. Could you talk a little bit more about that as well? Well, you know, I when I turned 80, I thought, gosh, I feel like I'm at the top of my game. I don't feel old. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I felt like, you know, I really, I finally knew something. <laughs> And so I just, and of course my husband was turning 90, and so I decided I would write a book about mm-hmm. dynamic aging, and and it was published last October. Thank you. And and it incorporates so much of Jean's work, so much social artistry. In fact, that's the basis of the book, but then it's the stories of my life, mm-hmm. and my family, and people I've known, and and. I, I hope it would change the current paradigm about what it means to be old because we live in a society where people think that, around, at least where I live, when you turn 65, you devote your life to uh, your grandchildren. 
mm. you know, watching your grandchildren play ball. Or either you move to Florida and play golf. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think when you reach retirement age, and this book is written for people who are, who are thinking of retiring. It's not for people who are past the old, you know, into the old, old stage. Okay. <laughs> but when you reach um, retirement, you you have the, the wisdom. You have usually some financial resources. You have some experience to make a real contribution to the world. And mm-hmm. so I hope to inspire people to do that through mm-hmm. the book. And I have a website and I have a blog. It's joyjigs.com. I'll tell you a fun one. Okay. My 13-year-old granddaughter who lives in Massachusetts asked her mother, Mama, what's a housewife? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is fun. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. So I wrote a blog about, you know, what what being a housewife used to be and how the world has changed you just don't ever hear that word anymore. <laughs> oh, man, you must have seen so much change already in your life. Oh, yes. You know, the big change in my life happened when I met, read, read Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique. Mm. And that was in the late 60s. All of a sudden, I knew why I, was, I felt so discontent. Wow. And she, she called it the problem that has no name. And it's because women need more than just looking after a family, even though that's very important. Uh, I kept dreaming that I was on a college campus, and I was so happy. Mm. Well, I was pregnant when I read the book, and I had another child three years later. And I kept I told my husband about my dream, and he said, I think you need to go back to college. So I started driving the 60 miles to Tallahassee, you know, making arrangements for two babies and daycare and meals and all of that. But it started me on this path of uh, of adventure. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You heard the call. You dreamed the call. I dreamed the call. And Mm -hmm. you listened. Mm -hmm. And I got a master's in social work. And um, just my life has opened up from there. That's an incredible story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always envisioned myself, uh, the work that I have chosen to do is the work of community organizing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I never wanted to be a therapist because I couldn't hang out a shingle in my little town or an administrator. And so uh, my work has been community organizing in my community. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew what that was to Barack Obama got elected president. Now everybody knows what that <laughs> is. It's great. And just because it's a good story, I have to ask, and as polite as I can, how young do you feel? And can you give can you give the listener maybe a hint at how old you actually, maybe physically, according to your, when you were born, are? <laughs> well, um, I don't mind telling my age. I'll okay. be 83 in November. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I feel probably... About 55. Mm. And of course, in my heart, I feel 35. (laughs) (laughs) In my body, I don't always feel 35. What does it mean to be a game changer to you? I think it means to have a deep sense of what's needed Mm. in the world or in your community or wherever you are and how you can bring your talent and your wisdom and experience to bear on what needs to happen. Mm. 
and I think it's so broad it could it can cover a multitude of, I mean according to where people are but there's people here who are doing fabulous things and there are people here who are doing small things but they're just as significant mm. and you know I want to mention the conference that we have every year in January it's called <laughs> Building Creative Communities and uh, this year the subtitle is uh, Creativity as Currents mm. which is a very broad topic it can mean anything from barter or co-housing or farmers markets or using the arts for economic development as we have done or yeah. human development absolutely personal development and so we, I'm, I'm just really excited to see uh, how we go with this topic because I think it's a topic that's bubbling up yeah. and will will be very interesting to people as we try to um, not rely on money so much, but to get back to the human exchange of, uh, of energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I invite all of you to come. It's the last weekend in January, and you can uh, look on my website, joyjinx.com. Wonderful. Well, okay. thank you so much, Dora. Well, this was fun. Oh, oh good. Oh, fun. That does it for our interview with Joy Jinx. Joy Jinx's book is titled Dynamic Aging. I intend to live forever. So far, so good. Find out more at joyjinx.com. To find out more about Georgia's official folklife play and get tickets to see Swamp Gravy, go to swampgravy.com. If you'd like to know more about StoryBridge, director Richard Gere's innovative community theater work, please visit communityperformanceinternational.org. You can also hear and watch stories on the StoryBridge Facebook page, StoryBridge Spaces. I have helped facilitate and perform in eight StoryBridge performances, and all have been really amazing experiences. I hope you get a chance to experience it sometime, too. And if you'd like to learn social artistry, the community leadership training program that activates human potential and a global culture of kindness, you can attend the Building Creative Communities Conference, it occurs the last weekend of January every year in Joystown, Colquitt, Georgia. Find out more at bccconference-colquittga.com. Or you can check out the Social Artistry Odyssey in Ashland, Oregon, July 28th, August 4th, 2017. Find out more at socialartistryodyssey.com. The Story Connective is 100% listener and viewer supported. If you support Story Connective's 501c3 mission and vision of bringing resilient stories of possibility to the world, there are many ways you can help us. Support our crowdfunded project at patreon.com storyconnective or by using the Be a Patreon button on our Podbean podcast app. Also, it's a huge help if you simply share our stories. Share this podcast with friends, family, and coworkers. Subscribe to our podcast feed. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like us at facebook.com slash storyconnective. And please leave reviews and leave comments too. We love hearing from you. Thank you for your support. Interview by Rebecca Rhapsody at storyconnected.org. Audio recording by Loxley Clovis at storyconnected.org. Audio production by Jeffrey Gaston. 
The intro song is Which That Is This by Dr. Turtle, released under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The outro song is by Rebecca Rhapsody. Thank you so much to our nonprofit fiscal sponsor, Elsa, at ellsa.org. The purpose of this audio interview is for nonprofit education news and commentary. This interview is released under the Attribution Sharealike Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening to The Story Connective.